Welcome to the Omni Gamers Club podcast, the podcast for games on all platforms, including your Sunday Papers crossword section. I am Daniel Winter. And this is Mark Uesa. How are you, Mark? Okay, well, it's been about two, three weeks since our last episode, and I'm still sick, so uh, someone call the doctor, or maybe it's just fall, winter in Canada. Yeah, the, the those seasonal bugs tend to all blur together and just merge from one into the next. It's hard to know where, where one flu ends and the next begins, unfortunately. Yeah, it's just endless torture for me, but uh, that can't be fun for anyone to hear about, uh, least of all me. No. Well, in bit of news, I just pulled a pie out of the oven right before recording, so I've got that going for me, at least. <laughs> oh, how nice. Pie makes everything better. Indeed, yes. We'll... Check my, not Twitter, I'm not using Twitter anymore, but check check my blue sky for photos of the of said pie if you are listening to this. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about Fit to Print, a new game from Flat Out Games and Peter McPherson. But before that, we'll talk a little bit about some news and what else we've been playing. So Mark, what is news to you? Yeah, I don't have a lot of news. I don't know. Nothing has really struck me recently that's super exciting. With one exception, there's a couple of um there's a couple of hum- humble bundles that are looking good right now, but your mileage may vary depending on <laughs> when we get this episode out. But I'd like to point out that there's still tons of great RPG stuff. Uh they just released a Warhammer role- tabletop role-playing game bundle of books. Uh it's not really my cup of tea, but I know lots of people enjoy it, so Go check that out if it's still available. And the one that I invested in was, uh, you pointed it out to me, it's called Everything for Your Adventures, a Roll20 exclusive. So it's a bundle of a variety of RPG systems and asset packs specifically for the Roll20 virtual tabletop uh, service. Yeah. Cloud-based one. So I'm not entirely familiar with how Roll20 differs from the other offerings. I know we've been using Foundry, is it, for our Fallout games? Yeah, Uh, Foundry is specifically like self-hosted is the initial intention. So you're supposed to install it on your computer. You Hmm. fiddle with the settings and, uh, you know, you have folders and you put assets in them and you configure everything. And there are official... And user contributed modules f- for every particular system. So there could be everything from map packs or like spell stencils or this or that, or just like kind of rule basic rules support for various systems. Like we're we're doing um, the Fallout 2D20 system right now, and it's an unofficial module, but it's running pretty well so far. Uh, whereas Roll20 is entirely cloud-based. There's no self-install, self-hosting option, but on the cloud is actually really convenient. So you, you uh, basic uh, usage is free, but basically it's a la carte after that. So mm-hmm. if you want maps or rules or assets for Tales from the Loop or Fallout or, or Starfinder, you'd have to go out there and buy them yourself a la carte. So that's fine if you're just into one system, it, it'll probably be really convenient for you. That's fair. But, I, do, I do like yeah. actually supporting uh, publishers where, where it's, when it's available, when, when a more, more, more official version is out there. It's similar to oh, the yeah. old uh, tabletop simulator versus tabletopia debate. <laughs> to this. Yeah, I don't, I don't I mean, really want to be playing bootleg versions that someone's cobbled together if a more official version is available. Yeah, that's true for the most part, but there's support and then there's support, right? Like I've bought PDFs or paper books of all these RPG systems too. So it's not as though I'm pirating per se, Uh, but yeah, official support, (laughs) 
official support is nice. So this this particular humble bundle includes a real mixed bag of systems that I just happen to have a cross-sectional interest in. Including so the, it, the Fallout game that we've been playing. <laughs> the Fallout game, Dune in 2D20 as well, Pathfinder, uh, Tales from the Loop, Starfinder, a lot of different stuff. So if you happen to be interested in any of those, go check out that uh, Humble Bundle. Yeah, I mean, as as I'm just playing this uh, the Fallout game, you as the GM obviously can have a lot more experience about how those the relative strengths and weaknesses of those systems. But if you're interested in art into roll roll 20, I think it was. Yeah. It seems like a great starting point. Yeah, absolutely. There's something to be said about someone handing you a package and every single asset is already in there that you can just pull from the, uh, the, the toy box. Excellent. Uh, well, just one quick crowdfunding release. I wanted to talk about. That is Molly House. So this is a new game from Cole Worley and Joe Kelly, published by Whirligig Games. So this is a similar similar to to Cole's previous games under that publisher. It's very historical game, focusing on a very specific historical moment. This one being in the 18th century London, various queer communities sort of coming together in secrecy to to to, to mingle basically um when th- th- those activities are very much outlawed and so there's a, is a degree of, of of trying to avoid the the police i believe and the the ethics league whatever it's called the, oh, i just can't remember the name the uh, it, was a very, it was an interesting name here, but it, it, it's a lot of good. Oh, yeah, there we go. The Society for the Reformation of Manners definitely doesn't sound like a, a good time. Um, so, yeah, very big focus on history and education. And a game that I don't know that I would love in that there's an element of hidden traitors, possibly. It's, at certain points, characters will be given players that is will be given the, the choice of becoming a traitor and it's always a choice it seems but that threat is always hanging over the rest of the players not knowing if there's a traitor or not and so i, I, I really like that's a fascinating concept in theory but i often struggle with the stress of anxiety of of those hidden trader games especially for a relatively heavy game but i i really appreciate what this game is looking to be doing in terms of representation and education in history it's got a beautiful design like it looks like a, a sort of victorian parlor game in its aesthetic so i i really like the look of that i i would likely pick that up just as a bit of a a, a curiosity piece very cool I'll mention a new game that just got released, and I'm counting this as news because I haven't played it yet. But if you're unaware and you happen to be a Star Trek fan, they just released a new game called Star Trek Infinite, I believe it's called. And basically, this is the official Star Trek-themed Stellaris. So if you're familiar with Stellaris... Actually uh, connected to Stellaris or just like Stellaris? (laughs) No, it is Stellaris. Okay. It's a whole theme conversion of Stellaris officially oh. all fully licensed oh, neat. okay covers like the big wow. empires that you might think of klingons romulans federation of course and cardassians so i'm excited about it i already bought a copy but i just haven't gotten around to playing it yet so i'll include that as my uh, news i'm excited about 
Yeah, I, I was not actually familiar with that. I, I had tried to get back into Stellaris a few months ago, but kind of lost momentum with some other releases and having me to revisit that. So that sounds like a good excuse to do so. Uh, maybe we can look up at, uh, at setting up a, a multiplayer game of that sometime. Yeah, it'd be great. Love to do that. Excellent. Well, let's move from the news to our playlist. One thing I wanted to, I was curious to discuss in reference to our previous episode on Starfield, which was a, a big discussion, and I could easily have kept talking about that for another hour or two. But I was curious if you have returned to Starfield at all. I probably played another couple of hours since the episode ended, but, you know, I really wanted to get a, a taste of how other RPGs do it more, you know, like potentially to give myself some context for how I'm feeling about Starfield. I'm still conflicted of whether it's, you know, a worthy game, quote unquote. And I've been comparing it to a lot of other role-playing games. Let me just say that. So long answer short is I haven't been playing much of Starfield. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I, I tried to get back in, played for a couple of hours. I, I looked up some suggestions of like what the best quests were and tried to focus on those. But even to get to those required slogging through a fair bit of the, the more monotonous <laughs> sort of wastelands of, of that game. And for what it's worth, the, the, the quests weren't particularly interesting. Like in compared to everything else in the game, they were they were better, but not anything to write home about. There was like the one I did primarily was called Mantis and had a pretty interesting or had a unique end game reward, I will say. But the the quest itself largely just came down to shooting people and it was very much a pastiche of other of, of references to other things. So wasn't really doing anything new there. So that is to say we we we, we discussed a lot of other games in relation to that. So Cyberpunk, for example, No Man's Sky and various things I, I would have liked to, to explore in, in to, to compare, as, as you were suggesting. But I, I took another path, the, the country road less traveled, as it were. I have been revisiting Fallout 76. So this is the much maligned sort of MMO version of Fallout. It actually was the last game that Bethesda put out prior to Starfield, I guess. I have a bit of a bumpy bumpy road, shall we say, since release, and it's no shortage of, of, of articles written declaring that Fallout 76 is good now. I, I was actually one of the people who was pretty sympathetic on it to start with, though. Played a little bit at launch, and then I think that was around the time that my daughter was born, so got, got fairly distracted, but I've revisited a little bit on and off since then. Uh, but now is I, I'm really diving into it more than previous. Um, before I go any deeper, have you, have you played any Fallout 76, Mark? I have played all but about two hours of Fallout 76, and so that's very little. Of course, I've spent tons of times with the, the previous games in the series. I, I appreciated what I played so far. I thought it was it seemed like the most polished version of Fallout so far in what I saw. And the base building, which was the last part I touched upon, seemed quite intriguing because I never really do that. I never did that in Fallout 4. It yeah, seems superfluous. Yeah. But I could see in a multiplayer context, in a co-op or PvE context, that would be very exciting, PvP even. Yeah, I don't do a lot of that, but it's it is fun just walking around and seeing other people's creations and what what the game is capable of, uh, especially with all the updates that have come out since I've last played, and even and, and just building it. Does, I mean, 
you there isn't a lot of point to building other than for the sake of doing so but you, you do have a, quite a lot of agency in, in decorating it and showing off all your collectibles and you can set up like vending machines for for other players to come through and use and so there's, there's a few things it's doing that's quite interesting but originally when this game came out it had this interesting concept where there were no human npcs that if you saw a, a human in the distance you would know that's a player and that was, I mean, it was, it was very interesting in, in, in concepts, in, in, in practice. A lot of people really uh, bounced off of that with how lifeless the world felt. I mean, ironically, the, the Fallout games, uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it is a wasteland after all. You would, wouldn't expect to find much life. But this is a game that's very much about recreating. It's like the earliest game in the in the timeline. So it's relatively soon after and people are just starting to rebuild. They've now added human NPCs, so that's much even more so of a, a sort of theme throughout the game. I, I, what I largely really enjoy in this is the setting. Even before there was the human NPCs came back, just I, I thought this was probably the, the most interesting world to explore that one of these Fallout games have been so far. It's a little more rural. It's it's uh, Virginia, the, the, the Appal- Appalachia. So it's a bit more rural, a bit more spread out. Uh, so it really is a very sort of haunting atmosphere at times walking through the forest there's various cryptids uh you might spot a a mothman now and then and the stories like because there's not really a big like bombastic story like you'd get in fallout 4 but there are a lot of little stories that you find scattered around these these sort of environmental and stories you'd find written on notes and and logs and computers and things like that and I i find pretty much all of those actually pretty well written and sort of heartfelt in a sense there it gets a little repetitive in how many of them end with largely everyone dying that's uh especially because most of those being from when the game had before the game had humans so there's it gets a little bit a bit of a downer shall we say but i for what, what the writing that is there is all pretty solid there's some nice little stories scattered around and along with some environmental storytelling so i'm just really enjoying just exploring this world i occasionally run into another player everyone largely leaves each other to their own devices it's, there's not really any trolling or, or griefing or anything that i've seen so far it's a pretty friendly community in, um from most accounts uh so yeah i'm, I'm quite enjoying exploring fallout 76 yeah, that's cool. I would totally give 76 another chance. Um, speaking of Mothman, though, that reminded me, we both failed to mention the other news that the next set of Magic the Gathering is going to be <laughs> yes. dun, 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 <laughs> Fallout, the video game themed. Yeah, I that just doesn't really do much for me. Like I got back into Magic because of the Lord of the Rings license set, but something about, like, I don't, I don't just want license sets that's not what really pulls me in they were doing something new and different with that lord of the Rings set in terms of the like the artistic representations and some other some of the the thematic elements but i know i don't want to just be repeating multiple licenses especially at this rate they're pulling them out there is a mothman i'll probably try and get a copy of that card at least but uh, i'm not i'm not i don't have a, a great interest in that set yeah, I actually like the Fallout license, but I have less than zero interest in that particular set for Magic the Gathering. It, you know, it just makes me kind of sad that Magic, after all these years, is going into new lows in selling out, uh, basically, I don't know, cachet as a premium, <laughs> as the premium 
trading card game just by selling to, I guess, collectors. Yeah, I mean, as 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 we talk, I think the Doctor Who set just came out, which I mean, that, that's a license I don't have any interest in. Like, I, I don't watch Doctor Who. I mean, Fallout, I, I do really like the Fallout universe, but something about the way it's represented, I you, you need the the full world to to sort of soak in. You need the music and the culture to to really appreciate that. I feel just taking a Brotherhood of Steel helmet like out of context or a vending machine like a what was the vending machine? There was some vending machine card. <laughs> I don't remember. But taking all these characters out of context by themselves doesn't really do a lot for me. Right. All right. Enough about that particular set. Uh, let me talk about an RPG that I've been playing. Basically, spoiler alert, all of the games I've been playing are RPGs. <laughs> surprise, surprise. But, you know, we were talking about Starfield, some of the lackluster quests in there. And I had been playing this particular game for a long time. I'll mention it again. Uh, Torment ties of Numenera. The only reason I'm mentioning it yet again is because I finally wrapped it up. Oh, nice. I finally yeah. finished it. It says I have something like 3,000 hours in it. I don't think that's what? actually true. <laughs> Left your computer that must on. be, uh, <laughs> yeah, that must be a, a glitch in because I played it in Game Pass Cloud, which it uh, works very well in. Right. So it must be a glitch between the servers or the something like that. computer you were logged into on the cloud was left on or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, quite possibly. <laughs> but, you know, some of the, like, I, that game, it's really hard to tell kind of what's going on because it's set a billion years in the future. It's very unfamiliar and very unsettling. Like, so you might particularly appreciate some of the later uh, settings because it goes into this kind of weird like body horror Mm. your inside like (laughs) flesh constructures kind of a thing tell me more (laughs) yeah kind of like that scorn game but of course it's not nearly as spooky for me because it's it's only an isometric 2d so it can only be so creepy but uh, all i'll say is really innovative inventive quests storylines characters i didn't meet half of the companions so i'm definitely going to play that again give it enough time i'm blown away by that particular rpg i'm so glad i finished it to its completion and you know if you're just tired of western fantasy tropes then this game will really surprise you and you know if you're willing to deal with the just innate weirdness of that setting you'll love it I think the big buzz right now is Planescape, the new setting coming back for D&D. That's the latest setting book that they're trying to push out right now. Planescape, I think Monty Cook, who's the inventor of Numenera, was one of the writers on Planescape. I think that's where he garnered some of his early fame. And I think Torment Tides of Numenera was sort of made as a spiritual successor of that setting. And Torment Tides of Numenera is was just really satisfying because, like Planescape Torment or Planescape, uh, it's kind of the weirdest setting. It's the most off the wall. It's the most unfamiliar. Hmm. It's the most non traditional. So if you just want something kooky and weird, I recommend it. Go play Torment Tides of Numenera. Nera, or for me, I'm excited about playing Planescape Torrent, the classic PC CRPG. Uh, the next game I play. Excellent. Yeah, I've still been trying to find the right CRPG for me, having bounced off a couple lately. So maybe I'll, I'll take another look at that. Uh, I'm saying it's not for everyone. <laughs> <but> <laughs> people have probably gathered that by now. 
Yes, yeah, no, I've already, I've still got a few JRPGs on the burner, so I uh, don't can't really, don't really have the time to invest in, in another big one just yet. But uh, I've, I've, I've got a list going. Uh, maybe, maybe in 2025. <laughs> we'll see. There you go. Build your backlog out. Yeah, so uh, I've not been playing a lot else. I've still been picking away at Lies of P, the 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 Pinocchio Dark Souls game. I, I think I'm nearing the end of that. Still largely enjoying it. Some of the the, the balance, the, the difficulty balance, is a little bit inconsistent at times. But that, a, lot, a lot of that is just that I don't have the patience to sort of throw myself at these games. I just want to experience them. I don't want to get good. <laughs> so I'm I'm taking whatever shortcuts I can, largely. But I mean, I'm enjoying the setting and the story and the just navigating those that sort of those dark souls level designs i just find it endlessly fascinating uh unlocking shortcuts and looping back around and like i've, I've just i'm just now revisiting an, a, a section of the game that I, I was in earlier and it's all different now no spoilers but yeah i'm, I'm enjoying lights of p other than that i've not really been playing much else yeah, I enjoyed what I played of Liza P, uh, although I did hit sort of a wall with the second boss. I don't love Souls-like games nearly as much as you, <laughs> but you know, it makes me appreciate Elden Ring in the openness of it because, you know, mm. you don't always <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You can, if if you hit a wall, just go into this entirely different area and level up. Um so it gives you many more options. It's non-linear, but you know, yeah. some people would probably prefer the linearity of some of the other Soulsborns. Most of them I've found tend to diverge and then they link back, right? They connect back and loop back in surprising ways. Oh, I went this far out and I came all the way back here. Yes, so and, yeah, I'm, I'm literally yeah. at that point <laughs> now. Uh, but you said you were stuck on the second boss. I, I believe there is uh, an option from that point on to summon like an npc and to help you which is actually makes those battles a lot easier and i have no qualms about <laughs> taking the easy mode uh okay. in case that, you missed that that's after that boss you say oh uh, well, i think it's from the second boss onwards most of the big bosses there'll be like a like a, a cauldron at the front of the the boss arena that you can use an item to to call in a an npc to help you Oh, interesting. I might need to get some pro tips out of you uh, after this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, ironically, it's all of the side bosses that you come across just in the middle of the world that I've had the most trouble with. <laughs> Very cool. I'll just mention the next couple of games uh, I'm playing really quickly, just to say, I'm because of the popularity of Baldur's Gate 3, I'm too cheap to buy it. Uh, so <laughs> I have been playing some Hilarion's earlier games. So I've been playing Divinity Original Sin Enhanced. Really enjoying that so far. It's a cool twist on classic D&D, although I don't think it's officially licensed. Cool, cool game. I'll just say it, yeah. leave it at that. I played and, that um, at uh, launch and really enjoyed it, but it was quite buggy at the time. I, I believe somewhere about halfway through the game, I accidentally stole something and the whole town aggroed and wanted to kill me. And like the, the save files were, were set up in such a way that I had lost hours <laughs> of gameplay and I was not, not going to repeat that. So... Such oh, was the end bad. of my experience with that game. <laughs> yeah, I'm a pretty good save scummer, so I'm saving every five <laughs> seconds. Uh, so I'm all good so far. Um, and then the other game I'm going back to after a long while because of the upgrade is um, Cyberpunk 2077. It's smooth as butter, really enjoyable now. I'm sure you've all heard the news, but if you haven't played that game in a while, play it again because it's great. 
it's good now apparently yeah i've been I mean, meaning to check that out I'll, I'll wait for a sale or, or game pass at some point and, and check that out the expansion is supposed to be great excellent more more keanu i imagine <laughs> there you go and interest this time but anyhow shall we talk about analog games yes yes i've been playing a few board games lately uh, i think as of our last episode i'd mentioned having been on vacation and and i'd found a couple of games in a bargain bin uh that was praga kaput regni and bitoku and i've had a chance to dive into both of those these last couple of weeks so so praga kaput regni is by vladimir suchi which we've discussed quite a bit lately uh, have you played this one at all mark i took a look at it on one of the platforms i don't remember if it was I think it's on the Yukata. Yukata.de. And I just muddled around and I totally wandered, stumbled around playing a solo game of that. But I, I I can't make heads or tails of it. Of course, you know, far be it for me to read a rule book or anything. But uh, <laughs> it, it looks interesting, let's just say. Yeah. So, I mean, for, for those, the only thing I knew about this going in is that it had the egg bridge. You can't build a bridge without breaking a few eggs. It's based on, on I think it's 13th century Prague, in which the the, the bridge over the river there was, was the, the local gossip said that there were, there were eggshells used to build this bridge. And that, that that's part of the game. There's a lot more of other things going on around the edges. But you're primarily using an action wheel, which uh, one of the, my favorite bits from Woodcraft. Uh, so... Using you selecting an action from a wheel and then turning it around to get a get some sort of scattered bonuses. It's not quite as uh, involved as Woodcrafts here, uh, but then you're using those actions to navigate some various mini games, build buildings, go up some tracks, uh, unlock things on your board. The old the old Sushi classics. So I, I do really enjoy this. It's got all those individual parts are very satisfying uh you've got these like 3d castles where you're you're moving cubes up there to, to increase your points some of the various elements are sort of inter interconnected in such a way that if you build this building it'll push one of the other tracks up and then you can use that track to to get an egg to to build the bridge and things feed into each other in an interesting way what I don't love is it's got that sense of, of sort of the, the chaos with a lot of moving pieces and people taking things and moving the wheel that things are just constantly moving around in a sense that when, by the time it comes back to your turn, it'll be quite random as to whether the thing you needed happens to be available or whether it happens to give you an extra five points or whether you have to pay extra gold to take it uh, or whether the, the tiles you need happen to be there at all. So it's it's tough to balance the, the sense of, of, of being able to do what you want and not just inexplicably being rewarded or punished for it. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not like a direct interaction. It's just that sort of there's that sense of chaos that are in these games, and especially in games such as this, where you have to specialize. You can't be doing a little bit of everything. There are only, I think, sixteen turns you get over the course of the whole game, so you have to make every turn count. And so, I didn't find it entirely satisfying in uh, trying to make the most of those turns uh i i think for what it's worth i think i still prefer woodcraft i do want to revisit this some more like i said the, the, what i do like the individual elements but i think woodcraft just felt a little more rewarding and we just weren't didn't feel as punished at times i guess woodcraft the, that wheel being a little more robust is just throwing out bonuses like a jackpot at you constantly <laughs> which it felt a little more consistent in how i did that 
Yeah, Woodcraft came out after Praga, right? Yes, I believe Woodcraft is his most recent game. But uh, right. Praga came out 2020, I want to say. Yeah, maybe Woodcraft included some of the feedback from Praga, potentially. Yeah, it was also a co-design, I believe, uh, Woodcraft. Yeah, Praga, the, the, I will say this, it definitely has that sort of board presence with like this 3D nature. Oh, absolutely, of the, yeah. I don't know what it is, like the cathedrals or something like that. There's some like palaces. There's a couple of castles uh, and, and, a, and right. a bridge there. And the, the artwork, I should say, is, is, is really beautifully illustrated. Looks like this old medieval sort of painting, mural sort of thing. But it, it is very busy. It doesn't read particularly cleanly with all right. the other, other than the, those 3D elements. The rest of the board doesn't really fit together in a, in a clean way that, that's easily scannable. Yeah, it seems very rich. Like you can kind of get lost. Very busy. In it, of course, you have <laughs> well, to put joking, in that you can effort. Play, um, you can play Where's Wally, looking at all the figures hidden around the board. Very nice, and that's Where's Waldo for the North American audience. Oh, I'm, if I'm you're sorry, of course. Unable to follow. <laughs> oh, no need to apologize. The world is a big place. Okay, uh, I'll talk about a game that I finished. Another game that I finished, which was my my neighbor's D and D campaign. So I think this is the first D&D campaign I finished, and it was a short one. So, you know, don't don't be surprised. This wasn't a 40-year affair like you hear about sometimes. <laughs> this was, uh, you know, it took a better part of a year on and off with breaks. It was like 12 or 13 sessions. So, you know, very minuscule by, by D&D standards. But, uh, you know, it was fun to play with my neighbors, my kid, their kid. It was very family-friendly, kind of PG. The, the DM was my neighbor, Paul. He is a consummate host, really knows the system well, and has like minis for days. <laughs> so every every uh, hero, every creature was a uh, finished and painted miniature, uh, perfect for the for the uh, setting. And then you know just some good hex grid, sort of not hex uh, square, squared off grid, chessex style. So I really liked that sense of intimacy and care and you know other than the the chess x grid for combat it was very theater of the mind you know just the kind of style that i like like not too much <laughs> over the top especially with me having my hurdles of uh getting virtual tabletops like foundry set up recently i think that's really more naturally my style and, and i look forward to the day when i can run some more in-person sessions a little bit more intimate style because i think i'm uh, naturally a little bit better of an improviser than a mm. you know game game programmer who easier to lean to into those thematic elements with you have you have those various elements that help just get that help you lean into the theme yeah and it made me appreciate like you know what modern dnd is, is doing this was the first time mm. i played 5e to a considerable extent i got the dnd beyond app integration put my character sheet in there i think i even bought the player's guide because you have to buy the digital book to unlock some of the options on the D&D Beyond for your character sheet, which I was kind of, I thought was cheesy. You can manually add all that stuff through what's called quote unquote homebrew through D&D Beyond. But, you know, if you're going to go through the effort of doing that, you know, you, ha you have to put in a, a lot of effort. You have to be really into it. And so, it probably helps if you're actually playing a digital game. If you're playing primarily in person, <laughs> it feels like it defeats the purpose. 
Yeah. I mean, in the end, like I had this like really crumpled paper sheet that I had from the beginning <laughs> that I was furiously scrawling gold pieces and treasures. Went on, on the some background. adventures of its own by the sound of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So like digital, you know, naturally works better for me in terms of organization. So Anyways, well, we can have some talk about D&D sometime in the future, but I got a sense of what the modern D&D is like, and I, I I appreciate what some of the other systems are doing. And once again, I like a just nice little intimate in-person theater of the mind style thing. I think that's my yeah, natural so was inclination. It a, was it a homebrew campaign? It was, yeah. It was very, I would say, I wouldn't say stereotypical because there were some nice twists and turns, <laughs> but it was a kind of like a whirlwind tour of like the classics. Like there were, you know, trolls and then there were wolves and then there were, you know, wisps in the darkness. And then there was, there was a dragon. In the end, we saw a dragon. Yes, and then there the, were the, cultists and, you know, like all the greatest hits, basically. The thing, the thing about playing with kids is they don't know that these things are played out yet. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I guess that's the thing that kind of bugs me the most. And, and no, no knock on people that like that, because I think people should play what they like. So if you mm-hmm. do like that, that's great. And if you're familiar with, with Western fantasy, then that's great. Me, I didn't really grow up with that sort of stuff. Like, you know, Lord of the Rings is new to me. The closest thing I got was like, I don't know, like uh, Chronicles of Narnia or something like that, which is not exactly the same thing, right? So, yeah, Western fantasy, I I just always preferred sci-fi to. So it just doesn't do anything for me. And I don't know, I want to see something a little bit wilder, more different, maybe the sort of stuff I grew up watching from Studio Ghibli or uh, other uh, Japanese-inspired things, or even, you know, not just other non-Western things. Like, let's just see something other than orcs and trolls and, and dwarves and elves, you know? Yeah, I don't want to get into the hot take about whether D&D deserves to be the most popular game. It, it's, at the very least, it's accessible in the sense of there's all these cultural touchstones that are very easy to pull upon. It, it's easier for people to get into the mindset of being able to improvise in that setting when it's when, when it is so familiar. Um, right. So that, that it just help, helps grease the wheels a little bit, I think, rather than having to learn a setting from scratch. Yeah, it provides people with a degree of comfort and familiarity, mm-hmm. which I think really works for some people, but works against me because I don't yeah. want familiar, <laughs> familiarity out of fantasy, right? Yeah, the I whole point is to explore something new, but it can be quite an investment to <laughs> to, to lean into those worlds. But yeah. yeah, the good news is that 5e is like more than just D&D now. So there's great options out there if people want to spend the time to look. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned Studio Ghibli there, and uh, I, I, I just previously mentioned playing Bitoku. So that was the other big Euro game I've been playing lately. Uh, so this came out a couple of years ago from Devere Games. Uh, it's, it's actually quite similar to a Suchi game in, in many ways. Being like Each player has a a board that feels a little bit like an interface and in how you're putting tile, you're sort of plugging tiles into it and, and moving tracks up and moving dice and cards around within your little interface board uh, and lots of mini games on the main board that you're inter- interacting with. So this, it's a bit of a pastiche of Studio Ghibli films, primarily 
Princess Mononoke. There's a, a very uh, the, the the main sort of spirit is very reminiscent of the the forest god from that. Uh, there's Kadama running all over the place. Various yokai. The game does does say that like a lot of the yokai are real and some of them are fictional, which feels a little strange. It just sort of mix and matches real life culture with things that they've made up, and it's not really clear where those distinctions are it doesn't really use the theme in a particularly interesting way either it's just the kadama are racing up a track that you're collecting yokai and and sending them on quests and you're you want to be the most powerful forest spirit for reasons i know it, it, it's it's really it's engaging with the skin of, of those films without really engaging in the themes of them it feels like but if you if you like you know yokai and 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 and, and weird Japanese creatures th- that may appeal to you. <laughs> but the, the game is, is a lot of fun. I, I did really quite enjoy it. You're using, you, you have, it's, it's, a re- it's a really interesting staggered action selection system where you have a deck of cards and you have to, you play those cards to then unlock a dice, which lets you interact with the main board. And so there's a really interesting way that you could play all your cards and unlock all your dice first, or you could, play one card and quickly put out your dice before everyone else was a bit of a sort of worker placement elements. So yeah, it, it, is, it did feel quite dynamic in how you pace your turn in, in staggering those different elements. Uh, lots, like I said, lots of mini games you're interacting with and tracks to go up and tiles to grab and a bit of some light engine building and quite a bit of interaction as well. So I did really enjoy the mechanics of this game. Uh, the theme feels like a bit of a mess though. Mm, yeah seems like it's somewhat pasted on perhaps yeah literally with some a bit of a bit of wonton font on the cover for good measure yeah unfortunate well i don't have any experience with the game so i won't uh, say anything about that one last thing i'll say about my uh, analog gaming is that it's uh it's about a week before halloween at this point in october here and uh because my DD campaign just ended i offered to gm a one-shot session of something a little spooky for the season so i'm going to be running a session of a setting called stranger stuff as you might imagine it's very stranger things inspired very you know <laughs> kids on bikes stranger things sort of tales from the loop like kids that are not very well uh, supervised running into mysteries and seeing spooky stuff essentially and uh, i just saw this uh, uh book on sale on drive through rpg on super sale it's specifically it's stranger stuff for tiny d6 and this tiny D6 system, I'll just suffice it to say, is very cool, minimal, but with a, a really nice degree of crunch. Like, I'm, I'm very excited to try it out. It's the system tiny D6 that they do tiny dungeons. And uh, this one I'm excited about. I think we're going to see some potentially ghosts and spirits coming out. So wish me luck in running running that one shot. Excellent. Yeah, and that sounds like a blast. Like, I can't make that one, unfortunately, but I, Halloween's a great time to, to lean into these thematic games. It's, it's, it's especially for my, my own content, like in, in Board Game Feast, I love this season. Just lean, like Halloween snacks are a great element as well. And it's, it's just it's so easy to lean into some of the more thematic elements of this season. So it's, it's always a good time. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I know that you like horror stuff quite a bit more than I do. I'm actually not much <laughs> of a horror watcher. I've watched some, but you watch quite a bit with your um, with your partner, right? 
Yes, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm actually pretty new to it myself. I was traditionally not a fan of, of horror at all. It's only the last 10 years or so that I've really come to appreciate it and starting to, to build up a tolerance towards it. Cool. Yeah, so uh, this will be new for me, but I think in, in a role-playing context, especially if I know exactly what's going to happen, it shouldn't be too Yes, you control the spooky. horror. <laughs> exactly. And then other than that, uh, I guess we're going to be playing some more Fallout tomorrow, right? Fallout RPG. Yes, looking forward to that. We've played one more session since we last talked. Not much new to add at this point, but we're starting to have the chance to, to build our characters out a little further, uh, which should be fun. Yeah, so more to, more to say about that in the future. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so what do you think? Should we talk about our main segment? Let's do it. I'll just take a quick break, and we'll be back to talk about Fit to Print. The main edition, the main story. <laughs> More at nine. Okay, welcome back. Today we're talking about our featured game, Fit to Print. So this just came out, I believe, literally a month or so ago. Uh, in retail at least. I got my Kickstarter a little earlier. Uh, this is designed by Peter McPherson, who you may know from games like Tiny Towns and Wormholes. Uh, and the art is by Ian O'Toole. Yes, and the publishers are Flat Out Games. Of course, I don't need to mention all the games that they have done, many games that we have played and enjoyed uh, in the recent past. Yes, and co-published, I believe, by AEG. I think most of Flat Out Games tend to be sort of under that umbrella. Uh, so yeah, we've, we've, we've discussed Cascadia in the past. I, I just got in a copy of the Cascadia Landmarks expansion, so stay tuned for more on that. Uh, and most recently, uh, Verdant was a, was a favorite of mine, but this is the, the first time that Peter has designed a, a game from Flat Out rather than the sort of in-house design team at Flat Out Games. Yeah, so let's talk about uh, what type of game this is. So uh, it's very much a real-time game. So yes. <laughs> there's just get like, out of the right there. <laughs> yeah, it's very much a, re a real-time game. It's a tile-placing game, and you know, a little bit different than the tile-placing game um, we played recently, Isle of Cats. Not polyominoes this time. This time, rectangles and squares. And there's this ever-increasing puzzle and a race against time to build out um, the greatest combination of articles photos ads and center what are they called centerpieces centerpiece leading stories, stories. Yeah. yeah yeah there you go so a bunch of different tiles that you have to fit together you, we are playing publishers editors of a newspaper uh in a in a very cutesy animal world so similar to tiny towns it's, it's all populated by by animal people uh but in a very 1920s or yeah, well, yeah. so many games anthropomorphic Peter has a history with, with that aesthetic obviously with tiny towns yeah. uh but it's also got a very, very 1920s sort of newspaper aesthetic a very m muted colors the the yeah it's um, kind of sepia desaturated yeah look. Some, some of the fashion that the, the characters are wearing, uh, big, big on sort of a phys phys physical desk filled with lots of uh, stacks of paper and 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 empty half half empty mugs of coffee. <laughs> yeah, you want to you want to capture the heyday of printed news media, right? Like this is like even before you know J Jonah Jameson of Spider Man, kind of like or <laughs> or whatever you know Clark Kent and Lois Lane of 
working at the Daily Planet. This is like the the busy newsroom with like the hand, you know, like this is an homage to hand laid out print layouts, right? Like they used to actually cut stories with exacto knives, essentially, uh, before they would print them out. So this is the in the days before digital. And I think that totally makes sense as this is a very sort of tactile game. It was a tactile placement game. I, I will say I'm a little disappointed that there's no J Jonah Jameson character requesting photos of a spider man in this game. Like uh, an actual <laughs> spider, right? Obviously. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> um, would be, yeah, would be very fitting, but yeah, it's, it's very much leans into the, the, the physicality of, of the setting. You, you have a literal sort of 3d table, each, each player as, as a sort of, cardboard sort of 3d table that you're placing tiles on each round before laying them out on into your your newspaper format so two main phases to this game that are both times and they're all under one there's one timer for each round for for both phases so you 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 might have anywhere between three to five minutes or or as much as you want the game is is quite lenient in letting you decide what what time limit you want to place but there's going to be a a scattering of of tiles face down in the middle of the board timer starts and players are grabbing these tiles to what is it this the editing phase is it no is it it's the investigation phase this i think it's the is it the reporting phase and the layout reporting phase? phase? You're actually going out to, to report on these stories. Yeah. So you're, you're grabbing tiles, photos. flipping them over and deciding whether you want to keep them or not. So you, you look at a tile, you, you either put it back face up or you put it on your board. So you put it on your, on your little cardboard table. Uh, and then at some point during this, say, five minute period, you decide that you've, you've grabbed enough tiles to, to fit into your, your paper and you call layout. And that's when you start actually putting the tiles onto your newspaper. You've got a grid uh, that, that starts relatively small and gets bigger each round. But you, you're laying these tiles out into this grid following various placement rules. And once you're done, you, you're sort of calling calling print at, at the yeah. end there. So I just you, want to you, cycle you back to a little get, bit. Yeah. So <laughs> at the end of the reporting phase, all you're doing there is is is, is establishing a time when the rest of the players have to kind of stop, right? Like yeah, they don't well, stop immediately. I don't think. Yeah. Everyone can move to the di- different phase at, at, at different points. You can, you could spend most of it just doing layout and then rush the, or oh, sorry, you, you could, you could spend most of it reporting and then do the layout at the very end. And it's just, it, it does give a good sense of everyone calling it out physically. Like you, you yell out layout. And so you, everyone has a sense of where everyone else is in terms of the, the phases and how much time they might have right. left. But in terms of mechanical detail, there's no like penalty for being the first or the last. No. Well, the first to finish the, the, the final reporting. phase, yes. Um, the, the first person to finish their layout and go to print gets a token that gives them first choice of a, of a tile the next turn. But that moving from first phase to the second phase is no, is no inherent bonus, no. Yeah, and I do want to specify even further that when you're doing the reporting phase, you're supposed to, I believe it's in the rules, you're supposed to pick a tile with one hand, (laughs) flip it over, so one at a time, essentially, don't pick two tiles at a time, flip it over your desk, and then if you like it, put it on your desk face down, I believe, and if you don't like it, 
put it out into the great mass of the table face up. So because every player, I don't think we specified this, every player is a sort of a competing paper. You know, I have the whatever furry times and you have the, I don't know, squirrel gazette or something. Uh, (laughs) So we might be going for, we might be going for competing scoops or I might be going for blue stories and you're going for green stories, or we might be both going for pink stories or something like that. So that, that is kind of cool how, you know, you put the piece back and you put the piece back face up. It's a little nod to like uh, lost cities or something like that. So I thought that was cool. And I know that some people have called this sort of like f- the first half of galaxy trucker, the game. You, you played Galaxy Trucker? Yeah, I played it once, didn't like it, <laughs> but I, I, I'm in, in hindsight am familiar with, like, I, I just wasn't expecting, like, it was, that was my first real-time game, and, like, the it was, it was a very punishing game. Uh, I think going back into it with better expectations of what that game is, I would be, I would have, I would have a better time. But it, it is a very random game that will you, you will you will feel the, the whims of, of fate as a meteor disintegrates your your spaceship. <laughs> right. So this game obviously doesn't have meteors attacking your, your news layout. But <laughs> I, the, I think that's a good story. <laughs> yeah, sure. Top story. But the first half of it is a fairly accurate. I think you got this sort of frenetic uh, race to find the right pieces, and also notably you have to use your memory Mm -hmm. because you're putting the pieces on your table face down. And unless you're highly capable with spatial reasoning, most people are not doing the math conversion of how many tiles can I fit onto this table? You might be doing it in a very rough sense, but each of these photos, articles, ads can be vertically oriented or horizontally oriented. They might be three by four squares or four by four squares or three by three or two by one or two by four. So (laughs) it's a, it's a lot to juggle. And a lot of that juggling has to happen in your mind silently using memory. And um, most recently I played with my 11 year old and that's what they had to point out is that it was a very, strongly there's a very strong memory component to this game yeah both memory but also just spatial awareness uh right. i think some people will be just be better at this game and and be able to process those elements uh more intuitively i feel it, it is really a game where you have to just eyeball it <laughs> largely uh, yeah i mean it's also memorize a certain degree but otherwise you just have to you, you can't count the exact number of squares you're just going to have to have a rough eyeball of, of how many tiles yeah. you've got because if you take too many tiles and it, you can't fit onto your paper you will lose points for each sort of extraneous tile that's right so i think most players will gonna ha- are going to have to rely upon their gut feeling as to is this the right number of tiles to take to my board and will these actually fit? Because and it will take a couple of games to, to get a sense of that. Like your first game, yeah. you might wildly over, over, overestimate. Yeah. And like you said, there's three rounds. These represent three days within the news cycle. So I think it starts on Friday, the second round is Saturday. And then thematic, quite thematically, the last round is the Sunday paper. Sunday paper in a lot of countries anyways, traditionally being the largest paper. So yes, it, it literally adds two dimensions each time. So there's a, 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 a portrait rectangle 
Second round adds another row vertically and another row horizontally. And on the third day, you just flip your board over and then it's the biggest board, which is, you know, the largest portrait angled uh, rectangle. And it's a slightly, it's a slightly different feel each time. But uh, yeah, we can talk about that in a bit. I think I just wanted to touch upon those details because they are pretty important. Yep. Let's go back to the layout phase. So so once we call layout, mm-hmm. you flip it over. And then at that point, you know, you've kind of committed, right? You've chosen yes, the tiles. Yes, so you can't you're take any choose. more tiles. You have to now, yeah. with the tiles that you've got, you have to find the best configuration within your grid basically right and there are and the a rules, few rules oh, yeah, sorry go, go ahead for it. No, <laughs> okay, go for yeah it. so there are there are a few rules as to where you can place things you've got articles of one of three colors you've got photos and you've got ads largely uh and the core rule being that each of those types of tiles cannot be adjacent to another tile of the same type so a pink article cannot go to next to a pink article it can go next to a green or a, or a blue article photos can't go next to photos ads can't go next to ads so it's all pretty simple stuff the the, the, the rule the the tile placing rules are all very simple but it, it's really where the the time pressure comes in that you're gonna you're gonna feel that uh <laughs> feel that mental strain yeah, and there's this kind of large-ish tile which gives you a unique effect that fits on the top half of your layout, aka above the fold. And it has you have some flexibility in where you can place it, but it essentially has to land with one of its Somewhere spaces in the middle, covering yeah. a star. So yeah, that's another constraint to consider as well. So you have to fit your stories and ads around there. And obviously this is where the big thrust of the game is or this is where the big thrust of the point scoring comes the first part is is very crucial picking the tiles but placing the tiles is where you're going to maximize your point scoring and everything is important ads revenue is is kind of controversial in how it's used (laughs) but essentially everything (laughs) else everything other than ads is worth points yeah so So, articles are worth flat points and photos will give you points for adjacent articles of a particular type Right. And the top story, which is unique to you, might give you a bonus or it might give you a special effect that lets you break a rule, like yeah. you can put two photos side by side or something like that. It's a light sense of player uh, asymmetrical uh, abilities each round. And that, that will be that will be different each of the three days. Right. And most likely, not everyone will have a perfect layout, so you'll have some white spaces <laughs> over around your articles and photos and you aren't punished for each and every white space but i believe you're punished for your largest contiguous white space if i'm not mistaken yes yeah uh but it's not the size it's the relative well it's it's the relative size to other players so whoever whoever has the biggest contiguous white space that round will lose some points and whoever has the smallest will gain some points uh there's also the moods so each each of those articles will have a mood either good or bad and of course you can't can't be all downers you've got to, you've got to balance the 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 tone so you basically have to have an equal number of good and bad moods and the difference one way or the other will be negative points right and all of this 
I, I have to give him kudos. Like this makes a lot of thematic sense, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All of that, like really, it just kind of common sense as a layperson would look at the, the news industry. But a, a lot of that makes thematic sense and as a result makes mechanical sense. But nonetheless, it is a lot to juggle in your mind mentally. Well, and- yeah, it, it isn't a lot until you add that timer, I feel. <laughs> right. Sure. It's yeah, a relatively it simple game. It, it could be could be could be quite a light game if you if you remove that. But adding any sense of timer, even if you have plenty of time, like you could add five minutes and everyone will finish comfortably. But just having that timer hanging over you, scrambling, and it just it, you you will forget something, especially your first couple of games, and it just it just puts that pressure on to just give you a little push and uh, you really put the boil on. <laughs> yeah, you'll absolutely forget something. So the way I kind of place most games I've played of this, which is not very much, is I will look at my photos and I will see what sort of colors I want to specialize in because you can't do every color or you can't collect so many tiles of every color. So you probably want to collect maybe two colors like blue and green, blue and pink or the other and then you might collect multiple photos and you could collect all blue and green and collect a couple of photos or three and you can arrange things very deftly so that none of the blue articles touch the blue articles none of the green touch the green but the photos sandwich them comfortably and if they don't align perfectly then sandwich some ads in there for good measure as well but of course, that's an ideal world. On top of that, you have to factor in the moods. Did I get grab mostly happy? Did I grab mostly sad? Did I grab the right balance? So that's a lot of factors to work in, especially when you're playing that memory game, which I don't know about you, but I don't think adults are <laughs> terribly good at, <laughs> uh, because especially in the modern age, when we offload so much of our memory to our devices. Yeah, no, I was I was really fascinated. I, I had the chance to take this to a games day last weekend and and played a five player game with the, with a bunch of like fairly seasoned gamers, and we had to actually end up playing a couple of practice rounds. It was the first time we played. Everyone forgot something, but it was all different. Everyone like one person forgot ads, one person forgot mood, one person forgot the white space, and everyone like it was it was fascinating how, how much trouble people had with this and what is does seem like a very simple game you suddenly throw in that time and people just that that, that anxiety will just do strange things to your brain but it, yeah. It, it's yeah it, it forces you to improvise so you're not just sitting there for five minutes min maxing and, and trying to find the optimal solution you have to shoot from the hip and and do the best you can if you know what i mean which is something that as someone who struggles with analysis paralysis that's something i try to sort of force myself to do i I tend to like just improvising on the fly and so this game does let you lead into that rather than overthinking it and i think that franticness and that sense of panic that sense of pressure anyway panic panic give or take <laughs> i think that pre- pressure is intentional i think that's thematic oh, i think you're yeah. you're supposed to fit within the shoes of these journalists newspapers do it at three get it get 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 it gotta get it in now yeah <laughs> right they pretty much invented the word deadline right uh <laughs> yeah. for that reason it's got to print at a certain time so you feel that you feel that very thematically and you you feel like a journalist of that golden age of print uh, at that time so so kudos again that they've melded the 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 me- mechanics so deftly with the theme, the ads 
The ads, on the other hand, the ad <laughs> revenue mechanism seems much more modern, much more cynical, and much more kind of of this latter day uh, kind of where the 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 wane the era of print new journalism is waning. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, you want to always want to tell us how they work to some extent. Yeah, so you, you're putting in these ads uh, each round that don't immediately give you any benefit. They will give you an income. Each tile is worth between $1 to $3. Uh, but those aren't going to be worth anything immediately. You just you, you just quietly make a tally of how much you earned that round and, and add it to the, the scoring sheet. And at the end of the game, after three rounds, you see who has earned the most uh, sort of accumulative uh, ad income. Whoever has earned the least, or sorry, if one person has less than everyone else, so there's no tie, then that person is eliminated from the game. Pretty so, cutthroat. Yeah, this is this is a player elimination game. It it doesn't it's not quite as feel bad in the sense that you still got to play the entire game. You didn't just have to sit back and watch everyone else have fun while you while you get killed off in the first round like werewolf or something. But uh, it, it does still create that feel bad moment. I mean, even uh, I, I have to say even. The other elements, if I, just forgetting, oh, I, f- I forgot to balance my good and bad moods. Like that, that can create feel bad moments. I mean, as you said, it's intended, but you have to go in expecting that and know that that's that's part of the design space is is, is getting things wrong. It, it wants you to make things to, to play things wrong. If you if you were playing it perfectly, then there wouldn't be. Like there, there wouldn't be a point <laughs> to the time in the first place, you know. But yeah, th- this this ad element does ramp that up quite a bit (laughs) right so in terms of designs like i think it's very expertly designed i think it's very expertly themed and everything sort of fits together i don't think you can really re-theme this easily like i think they they obviously chose the cute anthropomorphic animals because it sort of softens the dryness (laughs) and the sort of stodginess of the newsroom in in the heyday of print. So I think it really succeeds on on many, many regards. And unfortunately, I think this is going to be really hit or miss for a lot of people. Yeah, it's very good at what it does, but it's not going to be for everyone. It scratches a very particular itch, but if you don't have that itch, then it's it's just going to hurt, I think. Uh, right. So, yeah, you have to know 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 your audience if you're going to introduce this to others. And like, at the very least, set a clear expectation for... In, in, let make people anticipate those feel-bad moments. Know that they, so they don't just feel that they're stupid for forgetting that they 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 can't put a photo next to a photo. What are you what are, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, like uh, first first off, a lot of people are going to get thrown off by real time. Yes, and if they're not thrown off by real time, a lot of real time games have other sort of less formal, less strategic mechanisms, like they might have potentially more dexterity involved or they might be just like sort of card flipping and like racing to do a very simple task faster than the other people but this you have to do a lot of strategizing and a lot of tactical decisions in a short amount of time and you know you're kind of your greatest enemy is yourself 
<laughs> in how well you can keep it together. And that person who's grabbing all the green articles, damn it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're, I don't know. You've played in larger games than I have. I've only really played two, three, four player games of this. Did you feel like there were enough tiles for everyone? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, not all the tiles are like, even at the end of a Sunday print, there's going to be a bunch of tiles face down still. That wasn't really an issue. Okay, but were you competing? Like, were you waiting for someone to flip over a tile and being um, eyeing them carefully? Not particularly. I mean, no, I, 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 we didn't really feel that that sense. I mean, uh, most of the articles are going to be equally valuable to most players. Occasionally, there'll be a, 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 tie, a, a centerpiece or a, a player ability that will make something slightly more valuable. But generally, I think it tends to even itself out. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah. And in terms of the other gameplay mechanisms, like there's a lot going for this game as well. There's like like variable player powers. Not only do you start with a center piece or top story, I forget what the official term is, that gives you a unique rule. You also start with a sort of a journalist card. It's it's this cute little, it looks like an ID badge. And it's got the headshot of an animal. Might be a big animal, might be a small animal, but it has a, just a little sentence that's like one rule, like you can break this rule or you get extra points for this. Or you can take one tile after the layout phase has, has started, for example. So you, you realize you've got some space left over for, for a photo, you, you can grab one of those. Right. So that yeah, so adds a great degree up. Of, re, of variability. Mm-hmm. and asymmetry as well, which some people love. And if you don't love that, you can very easily ignore it. Yeah, well, that's the thing. that As with most of the most of these bigger flat-out games, there's a heavy degree of customization here. You can leave out those, those journalist cards with, with the unique powers. You can leave out ads entirely if you don't want though, that feel-bad moment. You can play with anywhere from three to five minutes for the timer you can play with no timer at all if that's how you, like especially if introducing new people you just want to get them to internalize the rules you can you can just nix that entirely there's a lot of different ways of playing this there's uh a puzzle mode in in the in the rule book there's solo challenges there's a lot of different ways of playing and that's one of my favorite things about like cascadia for example you can really choose what motivates you as a player and and focus on that element yeah i didn't play the solo and i i admittedly haven't played this game very much but all the plays i've done are in person because i don't think you can very effectively play this game digitally i mean oh, no. maybe they they'll come out with a desktop ta- app that's brilliant but even that would be a very different experience i played it with you maybe one once or twice at your place yes and it sounds yep. like you played a few times and i played it with my oldest once or twice and with them i very specifically chose to leave out some of those rules. So I uh, Mm -hmm. implemented some of that customization you mentioned. I knew that the, basically the last straw would be the mood, the mood balancing. (laughs) I I knew that that would just be a little, a bridge too far for, you know, a family environment. And, And otherwise it went pretty smoothly. We played with everything, but that, and uh, everything was flowing. And I, I think I might have gotten some of the scoring wrong. I think I got the white space scoring wrong. I think I might have just been counting it as a straight negative points per square. 
So right. maybe huh. <laughs> maybe they actually won when I, I said I won. So <laughs> I'll have to apologize profusely for that. But it, it, that makes me kind of wonder when a game has so many options and has so many levers that you can pull, push or pull, what does that say about the spirit of the game? Like, is yeah, there a core? I, I have heard that leverage before other games that these games that are offering so many different game modes now that they don't really have a core identity. I think that you could probably say that for some larger games for this, it's so strict. Like the, the core system is pretty simple and is pretty consistent across those modes. It's, it's just providing, uh, it is just providing a system that you can use, uh, sorry, an engine that you can then customize to, to your sort of, ideal tastes yeah for for this weight of game i think that works pretty well i mean i'll I'll say when i had this coming in i was fully anticipating to just play the the turn-based mode i guess you'd call it where there's there's no timer you're just taking your time as much as you want to, to lay everything out i tried a solo game of the puzzle mode so this is where it gives you a preset selection of tiles and then you just have to use those tiles to make the most optimal layout like to, to try and hit a certain points threshold and i like i've got these tiles and i'll just sit there for 10 minutes staring <laughs> at them trying to find the optimal solution and i find found that completely brain numbing like just that that sense of min maxing does not engage me at all and i, I have some people who who do really enjoy that game mode for me that does not motivate me at all uh and it, it really made me appreciate the timer sort of forcing you to improvise and not overthink things and just 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 get something down as, as best as possible so yeah i i think that does give quite a few options there for to, to find the joy <laughs> Yeah, that's very true. I mean, it's sort of like that age old saying that you don't want to let perfect become the enemy of of good, right? Of of good enough. As in you 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 don't want to you don't want to actually not finish because you can't make it perfect. Yes. Yeah. So the 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 clock is sort of forcing you to move it forward, just wrap it up, you know, it's good enough. Do do the best you can. So that's, I, I think, sort of the underlying theme of this game, aside from yeah, all of that. Like, I've mostly played at five minutes, which I said, generally everyone has is able to finish pretty comfortably. And so it's, it's really just acting more as like a chess timer, just to make sure people aren't overthinking things. You've got, you're going to be able to finish with plenty of time. It's not going to be a mad scramble, but you just, you're going to have to, to, keep things moving <laughs> you don't don't let the analysis paralysis control you <laughs> yeah and is it timed both rounds like it's timed reporting and also timed layout well the, the, the each of those so if you say five minutes that five minutes covers both phases yes oh i see okay that i wasn't playing with that rule by with my with my kid either so i guess we played that a little bit differently but uh, all in all like that just means it's a very short game right yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you could probably get through it in half an hour. I mean, that's including like a teach and, and tallying up points each round and whatnot. You can probably get through a lot faster <laughs> once you're familiar with it. 
And that's, yeah. that's the other thing too. You, you talked about playing with your kids and taking out all these rules, but like you could introduce them with a very basic set of rules and then gradually add on, like treat it like a, like a, a, a not a legacy game, but like a campaign game where you're introducing new rules each session. Yeah, I could do that, but I don't know if the ultimate game, like the ultimate f- final form of this you know, Dragon Ball a villain <laughs> is really worth the effort of all those repeated plays. Like, I don't, I don't want to knock this game because I'm sure it's perfect for someone. But for me, like, I guess I want something meatier to chew. And like, I would totally put in that effort of multiple plays for something like Agricola. Like I played, mm. like someone gifted me Agricola Family Edition, which is like super snore. Let me tell you, it's super, 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 super boring because it lacks that variability. It lacks the occupation cards. It lacks the minor improvements that are the spice of that game. But I would absolutely ease my kids into Agricola. And my oldest, actually, we have played Agricola before, the family version. Maybe they are old enough where I could bring out the the those complex cards and maybe even just like a handful of them at a time and i feel like that would be worth the effort of the multiple plays because that's a you know good solid two-hour game it's chunky meaty every time you play it it's a different experience but you can still get good at that game you know yeah as opposed to i don't know if you're gonna get good at fit to print <laughs> like even if you get good at it someone's just going to be naturally better because they have that inherent yeah i did have that awareness. feel like you're gonna play that one guy who just nailed it every time and like i said you do have to anticipate those feel bad moments i do think this is largely going to be a bit more of an event game it's not this, like sure. it, it is a very simple game, but then that timer does add the spice. You, and for that reason, you want to be playing with more people, just leaning into the theme, adding to that mad scramble, uh, and just getting into the atmosphere of it. So I, I think this is going to be like a, like a convention game, uh, or just if you've got a group of friends who are really into those sort of more not not quite party games, but those those more sort of not, not even a gimmick, but just just. Thematic more of an game. event yeah yeah and really leaning into the theme i guess uh it's not going to come out right super regularly but it's it's a great for an event <laughs> yeah that's fair yeah so for me um if we're going to wrap it up i'll just say this i don't think this is the game for me but for someone out there this is going to be perfect it looks great it's a great production and the mechanisms really do fit the theme so if any of that excites you then you should go check it out yeah, no, it's a, it's a wonderful exercise in thematic implementation. One thing we didn't mention is uh, Ian O'Toole's graphic design. I mean, not just the artwork itself, but the graphic design is all pretty great, I think. And other than being a sepia tone, so it's a little bit it's a little bit undersaturated in terms of, of reading things at a glance. There were one or two tiles that threw people, but broadly, that design does add a lot. Like the the even the the from the underside of the tiles, you can kind of tell what orientation they are. Uh, the the integration of some, like even the, all the little headlines on the articles are, are amusing. Uh, there's, there's a lot of little touches that, that have been implemented here that just add overall to a, to a lovely production. And I said, I, it's not the sort of game that my sort of heavy Euro group is going to be reaching for very often, but uh, it'll, it'll be a great one to take along to, to events, I think. There you go. Another fun game from Flat Out Games. Okay, any more we should talk about uh, Fit to Print? No, I think that just about brings it to a 
clo- closed? The, the prints, the printers closed. What? Stop the presses! I don't know. I don't know what the. There you go. Is. There's, a, there's a pun there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that ship has printed. Uh, there you go. Shall Shall we talk about the next game we're going to be playing? Yeah. So, uh, one little game that I had been playing and I didn't mention is because we're going to be covering it next episode, and that is Cocoon. It's a puzzle game that just came out. It's on most platforms, I believe, but including Game Pass. Throw a coin in the bucket. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Cocoon, a puzzle game. If it's only a few hours long, so feel free to to join in and play along with the club. There you go. Yeah, I'll check it out. I don't know anything about it, so I'm going on your recommendation. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I like to be surprised. Yes. But yeah. It, to it, the it fairness does... of our audience, we should consider doing a PlayStation exclusive sometime. <laughs> I, have to, I have to blow all the dust off of mine. <laughs> exactly. I only have a PS4, too, so that doesn't help. It's, it's likewise, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so if you have any questions or comments on both this episode or Cuckoo, you can contact us at omnigamersclub at gmail.com. I'm also active on Instagram and Blue Sky. Uh, personally, I, you can find me at Board Game Feast. Yeah, and in, for me, I think I'm kind of off Instagram. Like, it's just been really hurting. Um, it's just been <laughs> too much algorithm TikTok light action on yeah. Instagram. So I've just actually, yeah. <laughs> I haven't deleted it yet, but I've hidden it off of the main screen. And uh, I'm not sure if I'm going back anytime soon. I will say it's been better. This these last couple of weeks, uh, the, the, the organic interaction has been much higher than than lately but uh, i don't i don't love it (laughs) yeah maybe they're tweaking the algorithm or or maybe it's depending on how i'm using it anyhow not to end on a downer but um yeah hopefully we'll have some fun stuff to report from uh fallout you can probably guess we're going to be covering that game sometime in the future i don't know if it'll be very soon but um that adventure continues and this will be our third section starting tomorrow so Uh, Yeah, maybe you'll see that coming up soon. See you in the wasteland. There you go. And for now, uh, this is the um, Squirrel Times and the um, Furry Gazette uh, signing off. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Until next time, have a balanced diet of gaming. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.